All right, so a little warm in here. I shared last week that I sweat a lot, so I tried to wear Under Armour today. Hopefully, repel some of that. It hasn't really worked. Um, we tried to open the, the garage door. It sounds like a good idea, but it's 90 degrees outside, so we just let the 90 in. Sorry. Um, and I, I love that we're not apologizing for that. Uh, if, if you've been with us long enough, you know we're not putting on a show on Tuesday night. So we're here because we're, we're declaring what we believe about God and, and hearing from Him through His Word to go out and to be on mission. I, uh, man, I just I love singing with you all, and I'll never take it lightly that, that we take our time to gather here uh, to, to just encounter the Lord through His Word. Now, you probably know where we're going, 2 Timothy. If, if you're new here, I'll, I'll let you know. We basically have one conviction about teaching. We're, con- we're convicted that I have nothing really that good to say. And that, and that it all has to come from the Lord. That, that if, if I come up here and, and have creative dialogue about some topic that I find interesting, uh, you're not helped, and I just waste my time. So I, I, I am strongly convicted that verse by verse preaching of passages in the Bible is what is best for your soul. It's what can raise a dead person to life and ultimately sanctify the saints as we get on mission. I, uh, I heard a quote this week. I guess I didn't hear it. I, I saw it on Twitter. So I heard it. Uh, it said this, that, that verse by verse preaching is verse by verse warfare. I thought, man, I love metaphors that have anything to do with fighting and and I, and I, I want to expand that a little more that all of worship is warfare what we're what we're doing when we're singing we're declaring war we're declaring war against the darkness you're declaring war against your own sin you're begging God to fight on behalf of you and I, I love that man this door is open and the, and the songs as as we get louder and we respond it's just ringing throughout the other side of the tracks right that's where we're coming. Hope is here. Like, let's open the door and let them hear us sing. Um, man, so that wasn't even in the notes, so it's for free. Let's, uh, let's go. Chapter 2, verse 8. I, I'm fired up today, y'all. I'm sorry that we started 15 minutes late, but I just said I wouldn't apologize. Thank you for letting us start 15 minutes late and uh, making the night last a little longer. But let's, um, let's just... Let's just start. Um, applications so far. I like to link these weeks for you. So first of all, if you're new, you don't feel completely out of the loop. And if you're not new and you've forgotten, here's where, we're, where we've been so far. Major theme of what we're trying to get at tonight is we want you to not quit in the ministry. It's getting in that time of semester. We always talk about it's getting hard. Everything else seems to take precedence over the things of the Lord. Listen, don't quit. The mission is worth it. The mission is worth it. And, and what we're calling that is a call to faithfulness. And, and so far, applications to get us to that point have been this. And you don't have to write these down. We'll go through them quickly. It's do not be ashamed of the good deposit entrusted to you. It's the gospel. Jesus guards the deposit that he commanded you to guard through his word where absolute truth is found. That's the point. You want to guard this, you've got to guard it with truth. You can't guard it with your savvy or your giftedness or you'll quit and you'll fail. It has to be God's way. And in order to do these things, we said we need strength that comes from grace. Remember the tough then tender paradox that although we talk a lot about let's get tough, let's go on mission, ultimately we're still children of God who loves us very much. 
And lastly, last week we looked at soldiers, farmers, and athletes. So we must know that, that we need to be focused as a soldier, patient as a farmer, disciplined as an athlete, as we seek to do God's mission in His way so that He gets all the glory. So that being said, let's go to verse 8. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. It says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Easy breakdown here. There's four little phrases separated by commas. So this, this first one is, is interesting to me. It's a command for young Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. Why this is interesting is that Timothy was really one of the most prominent young preachers, right? Like this is like he wrote two letters to him. This is Paul's protege. And in Philippians 2.20, he says, I have none like Timothy. There's nobody like him. Yet one of these commands right here in this letter, he takes the time to say, Timothy, yeah, you, you have the potential. You're, you're, you're just like me. I have nobody like you. You're going to care. You're going to love people. But remember Jesus Christ. Remember him. Multiple examples in all of the epistles in our Bible are the authors emphasizing the fact that we need to remember either the gospel or remember basic things of our faith in order to continue impacting the world as the church. One example of this is 2 Peter 1.9. You don't have to turn that. It's on the board. Um, it says this, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. There's a key. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So before this verse, there's a whole list of qualities that you should be producing in your, in, as you walk with Christ. As the Spirit works in you, you're going to be producing these. And then Peter takes a break and says, if you're lacking this, if you're lacking spiritual maturity, if you're lacking these qualities that followers of Christ should have, you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from former sins. Christians who lack qualities of sanctification or looking like Christ are defined as forgetting that they've been forgiven. It's interesting, right? So an implication is our lack of spiritual depth and our lack of progress, like I haven't grown, I've still got this sin, somewhere in there is rooted that you have forgotten the work of God in Christ for you. Remember Jesus Christ, specifically the forgiveness of our sins. So logically, if you're sinning and not progressing, you are forgetting that you have been forgiven of your sins. Notice this though. That the grace of God in you, when it truly grips your heart, the response is to hate sin and want to obey. You don't hear that and think, okay, grace of God, sweet, I'm going to kind of live how I want, my life is going to be live for myself. All throughout the Bible, the idea is, if you understand the grace of God, you're going to hate sin and obey. Or, if you aren't progressing and you are sinning, something in your soul has forgotten what Jesus has done for you. So, in this remembering of Jesus Christ in verse 8, three things we've got to remember about him. Here they are. That he's risen from the dead, that he's offspring of David, King David of Israel, and that he was preached in a gospel. So here's a few things. Implications of Jesus being risen from the dead. We'll go through these quickly, but I want you to understand this, that Jesus rose from the dead, and clearly God in his sovereignty decided this passage was for us. So some of us here tonight, maybe all of us, need to remember this. It demonstrates that Jesus fulfilled the scriptures, validating our message. It solidifies our salvation. It wasn't enough for Jesus to just die. He had to be raised for our justification and for our forgiveness. It guarantees our resurrection, that we get new bodies in a redeemed world for our hope. 
And also it demonstrates death's defeat. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David. What do we need to know about this? You need to remember that Jesus Christ is in the line of King David. Uh, There's roots here in 2 Samuel 7. We're not going to go back to the Old Testament tonight, but you want to jot that down and and look over this for yourself. This was something that a covenant that God made with David. And basically he said this, I promise you, David, that through your line, I'm going to bring a king that is going to rule the world. And that rule is never going to end and every enemy will be defeated. So you got to know that. Remember Jesus Christ. If you're not progressing, you're not being sanctified, things are not clicking for you, remember Jesus is alive. And remember that one day, as he fulfilled the Davidic covenant, one day he's coming back to rule and every enemy will be under him. Lastly, other thing we got to learn. Remember Jesus Christ as preached in my gospel. Notice the nature of remembering Jesus is a reminder of preaching, not just talking about him. And when we're at Rev, what we're meaning by preaching is the enthusiastic heralding of who God is in Christ. Like, I could get up here and teach and say, you know, the the history here of 2 Timothy, we kind of go through the logic and, and have fun with that. But ultimately, Jesus, when he's preached, is heralded for the church. So, before we move on, I want you to know this. Remembering Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, and preach in a gospel. Which brings us to, brings us to verse 9. So let's look. It says this. For which, so this gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. I'm going to stop there. A few things. Preaching the gospel is the reason that Paul is suffering. You can't really overstress this with Pauline letters that over and over again he says if you want to live a godly life and be on mission for him you are going to suffer so you need to ask yourself honestly if, if my life is in no in no way affected it's not uncomfortable it's not different am I living for Christ is my life preaching Jesus to unsafe people because at this point Paul's in a prison and it's not even just prison he's bound with chains it's an extreme type of imprisonment And not only is he trapped in jail, literally, maybe ankles, maybe wrists both, in chains. Here's here's a fact. Paul would have not been locked up if he wouldn't have preached the gospel. They knew. They said, Paul, you're not allowed to do that. He said, well, (laughs) can't help it. I'm I'm going to do that. He said, Paul, if you do that, we're going to put you in jail. Okay. This is so true that that the truth, living out this truth, got him in prison. And, and something for your notes, I think this is interesting. I, I call it the belief speak paradigm, which is not very creative, but that's kind of where I'm at. 2 Corinthians 4.13, if we had that on the perfect. Look at this, another letter from Paul. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak. Here's the logic of this. Paul's saying, if you really believe these things about Jesus, you will speak. Do you see that? Like, we also believe, and so we speak. I believed, and so I spoke. Meaning, this message you're believing is not some interesting fact that is intriguing. It's something that, if you get it, if it's in you, you can't help but speak it. 
That's the idea. That's why it's so important to remember because it's almost like you're not speaking about Jesus. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he's the hope for sinners? Do you believe that he is God? Therefore, this is interesting, more logic here. If you believe this, you will speak about it. If you speak about it, you will suffer. Therefore, if you believe this, you will suffer. It's going to be hard. The greatest church planner, potentially, of all time, other than Adam Goodwin, is bound up and stopped. He's in chains. They got him. You guys realize this, right? Like, Paul's done some work in Acts. Here he is, in chains. Maybe the greatest Christian writer. Maybe the greatest preacher. Paul said he wasn't that good at speaking in some of his letters. I don't know if he's being humble or if he actually wasn't good. But, but probably one of the best preachers ever, right? You guys agree if Apostle Paul is preaching next Sunday, you're showing up? The greatest, maybe the greatest pastor the perfect, almost, almost perfect balance of tough and tender in his letters. They got him. Right? The enemy, his cohorts, the humans who follow the devil and want this Christian movement stopped. They got our biggest weapon. They could be thinking, if, if we can just get him in chains and get him on death row, we can stop this movement. Maybe they're thinking, Paul's movement can't continue if we, if we chop his head off. God really seems to be using this man powerfully. I know. We get him in jail. Nobody else is going. Paul says, which I'm suffering, bound the chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. It turns out that God has always used this word to accomplish his purposes. It was never about Paul. You remember that? Remember Paul? He used to kill Christians. It wasn't like God was like, man, this guy seems uber qualified to really reach the people. I know, I'll pick a guy that hates who I'm trying to reach. God's word in flesh came to save us and his word in text showed us the salvation. And it shapes us on the mission. Turns out that you can chop Paul's head off, but you cannot stop the good deposit that he passed down to Timothy. Can't stop it. And like we, we have living proof, like history, we know that, that Paul ends up dead. Here we are, <laughs> 2,000 some years later, the word of God is not bound. That's why it's so important. You can't just only love people into the kingdom. You can't have good friendships with them and that gets them to heaven. It's the word of God and it cannot be stopped. Only the people who put him in prison could see us now. <laughs> Imagine. I know, we get him. This will stop. 2,000 years later, we're seeing people in a university come to Christ. This is why it's okay when I tell you that your legacy doesn't matter. I'm not saying I don't want you to, people to remember you for good things. But ultimately, the Word of God is not bound. We are dispensable and you are only as useful as you are with the word. Just true. Study a lot of things, but nothing's eternally impactful. Nothing can raise a dead man to life. Word of God is not bound. And if that bothers you when I say you're dispensable, it's probably because the glory of God is not your biggest treasure. We hold this power in our hands. 
in a book, we can preach a message that cannot be stopped. Paul says this. Because of that, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, here's what he does about it. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So, because the word of God is not bound, here's what I do, Timothy. Because of this truth that it can't be stopped, here's what you do. He endures everything. Shows this grit of this ministry, right? Like, like some of us are thinking 31 days of going sounds inconvenient and uncomfortable. And some of us are thinking conversation partners sound like a good idea, but that would take time. Endure everything for the sake of the elect. And, and just, and just to, to point this out, I know some of you all like see the word elect and you're like, uh-oh, John Piper. Right? Like, like we're, we're getting excited. It's like, okay, reform doctrine? Like, let's get out our black coffee and go talk about theology. I, I, I want you to see something here. You can do that and, and learn a true thing. It does. It says elect. And miss the point. Because the point is going to be leave your theological discussions with people who already believe the gospel and go endure everything for the sake of the elect. For the sake, for their ultimate good, which we know as Christians is the obtaining of their salvation. Does the lostness of people or your desire to see God glorified in their life make your heart burn? Does it bother you? Does it make you want to endure everything? It's power, this word of God is not bound. Put me in prison. You can't stop the word. And somehow that's supposed to work in a reborn person's soul to make you want to endure everything. And on the subject of election, Romans 9 Starts with Paul saying, I would be a curse if my brothers could know the glory that I have in Christ. So, for those of you that get excited about Reformed doctrine, let it be known that you don't quite get it unless all of a sudden you are burning with passion for lost people. Theologically, though, this... This does show that there are those that God will save that will obtain the salvation that is in Christ. And the way that God intends on saving people is through the suffering and preaching of us. With a word of God that cannot be bound. That should blow you away. I love temperature just dropped about 20 degrees in here. This demonstrates God's glory. He says, I'm sending you. I'm giving you my word, and it can't be stopped. Yeah, you may end up six feet in the ground, but this will not stop. You're part of that. Application so far. You need to remember Jesus Christ is alive and reigning. Your heart needs to burn for the sake of others who do not know him. Your heart needs to be stunned that God would choose to use you. And your life needs to reflect a grittiness of enduring everything Because the word of God is not bound. You can be stopped, but your mission cannot be. 
everything. Lack of sleep and tough conversations. Leveraging your time to intersect your life with non-Christians. Sacrificing me time to be with others. Risk looking foolish with friends. Risk not being accepted because you call out sin. Whatever it takes to see people grab a hold of Christ in faith. Everything. I'll endure it all. Sets us up for verse 11. Wasn't going to talk about this, but I think I'm going to before we go to 11. Um, those of you that have been on Marshall's campus this past week understand that there's been some people there claiming the name of Christ that have been doing some very damaging things to the kingdom. Um, if you're a non-Christian in this room, I'm sorry. That is not the faith that we hold to in here. It's not the faith we sing about, and it's not the faith that most Christians on Sunday morning when they rally together to lift up Jesus, what they are promoting. Um, but I don't really need to explain to you all that that's not right. Christians, we're not arguing whether or not that was a good technique. Okay. Um, Jesus led with love. John 3, 17, did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through me. Whereas true things can be said about condemnation, the lead in the ministry of Christ was always, yeah, there's condemnation, but I took it. Not it's still on you, unless you do something about it. That's not the gospel. But another common question I keep getting is like, what do we do, right? Like Christians, do, do we rally around them? Do we help the saxophone players kind of squeeze them out of campus? Do we try to, do we try to catch him, um, you know, saying hate speech so we can turn him in to the authorities and then he leaves? Um, I, I will say this. I'm going to stop talking about it. I think the best thing you can do is not give him attention. Um, this is a conviction for me. I'm not saying if you were around there and tried to engage in conversations that it's, that it's not, that's, not, that's not a bad thing. But, but I think people like those people that are, are confused and clearly misguided on what ministry is, I think they kind of thrive off the attention. If nobody circled around them, he's gone in a day. Right? Um, but, but, but another thing is, is as Christians, notice that people still care a lot about eternal things. Right? Like, if those people didn't care, they wouldn't go rally around him. And say things and, and yell at them, right? So, like, you need to be encouraged. There are people that care a lot, and clearly they are open for dialogue. I mean, you can call it that. But, like, you need to have head on a swivel, think, I remember that person, I could class with that person. Use that to leverage conversation, but I think a godly response is don't give this guy attention, and we can see him leave. Okay, verse 11, sorry. The saying is trustworthy. Four, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, commentaries look at this first phrase and they say, the saying is trustworthy. Apparently, without anybody being there, well, I mean, there are people there, but not anybody alive now. Um, there was, this was a, a, a saying of the early church where I don't know if it was a hymn, if it was a song, if it was just something like, you know, it was like a nursery rhyme, it was something they taught their kids in uh, Ephesus Sunday school or what, but there's something about Paul saying, listen, this saying is trustworthy, which has an inverse application. Here it is. There are some sayings that aren't trustworthy. 
It's fair, right? And I think before we move on to this phrase and break it down and love and revel in its trustworthiness, you've got to understand, everything you hear that kind of sounds like Christian isn't necessarily Christian. You guide your thinking, even songs, even phrases, even common things that you hear, you guide it by the word of God to see if it's actually trustworthy. Um, that word trustworthy is the same Greek word as faithful in verse 13. Um, so it could be this, this saying is faithful, um, or however you want to say it, that the point is, be discerning. Like, know that not everything is true. But Paul's saying, look, I can vouch for this one. I've heard you all talking about it. This saying is true. So what we're about to look at, it's easy to see if-then statements, logically, and kind of think, uh-oh, these sound like things that I have to do in order to get the next thing, right? Like, if I am nice to Courtney, then she will be nice to me, right? Like, that's an if-then conditional logic here. I don't know if that's the best way to look at this. I think what we're about to see are a list of conditional statements that are absolutely true, but we're going to think of them as promises that are true because God's Word is faithful. These are true and helpful for us. Don't look at, oh man, like, Somehow in my own power, I've got to figure out how to hit these ifs so that these thens will happen for me. These are promises that are trustworthy for your equipping. So let's go through them slowly. First one. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. So here's the thing. Christians in the building, you have died with Christ. You have. Like, some people may say, I was talking about, like, martyrs here. Paul's writing to Timothy, you know, if you've died. The, the idea is, if, you, if we have died, you've already died with him on his cross for your sins, then we will also live with him. So, listen, because you are dead in your sins, in Christ, he died for you, you died with him, you are guaranteed to live with him. Now, in part, one day, forever, in full. Does that make sense? Like, it's not like, oh man, I gotta figure out how to die. Like, if you repent, put your faith in Christ, you are dead. You're a dead man or a dead woman. And because of that, you're alive because Jesus is alive. Good on that? Okay, that's a trustworthy saying. Next one. If we endure, we will also reign with him. A few things about this. Our endurance is important for our future reigning, clearly. Our endurance in this mission, keeping the faith, does matter. But our endurance is ours because Christ endured for us. This means that if you have faith in Him, you have died with Him and you will live with Him, which means you will endure with Him. It means one day you will reign with Him. This is trustworthy and true about people who are united to Christ by faith. So, two positive statements. Look at the two negative ones and then we'll, we'll sing. Here's, here's the next one. If we deny him, he will also deny us. It's a bad thing to get denied by Christ, right? Because this Jesus will not deny anybody who comes to him by faith, no matter how sinful or wrong they are. But there's an affirmation here that somehow in our reborn souls and on this mission in the gospel, we need to know that people who deny Christ, he will deny them. And it follows to say, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, this one's going to give people fits. Because how many times have you probably heard this as an encouragement, right? Like verse 13, it's like, hey, if, we're, if I'm faithless, God remains faithful. Right? You guys have probably heard that. People have used this verse. 
There's actually two ways of looking at this, and I'll let you decide uh, theologically where you land, but I think either way it's helpful. First, some people say that this means God will still save us and keep us even when we are faithless, meaning moments of lack of trust in him or demonstrating faithlessness as a step lower than denying him. Does that make sense? Like, if you deny him, he's going to deny you. But if you're faithless, he remains faithful to keep you. So your faithlessness is kind of a, a step back or a backsliding. So they see this verse as a comfort. Some people say that this is a warning. Because God stays faithful to himself because he promises to condemn those who do not have faith in him. You see that? That, that ultimately, and you get that at the end of verse 13, because it says, for he cannot deny himself. Meaning, what God says is true, and if you don't have faith, if you are faithless, meaning you do not have faith in Christ, then he is faithful to keep his promise to condemn those who don't have faith in him. So, you can have fun wrestling with that afterwards, but here's the key. God cannot deny himself. That's the point. If you die with him, you're going to live with him. If you endure with him, you're going to reign with him. And because of the power of Christ, these things are true of you. Every promise that God makes, he keeps. The major promise is that those who have faith in him will be saved. We are dead in Christ. We are alive in him. We are empowered to endure. And we are given new bodies to reign with him forever. The counter-major promise is that those who do not have faith in Christ, remember, not just an intellectual assent here, will be punished forever. That is a promise that God keeps. And listen, this is good news about God. A God that would decide that people who do not have faith in Him are saved is a God who could decide that those who do have faith in Him are no longer saved. You see that? Like, God's got to keep his promises on both sides of this. And God saved us clearly for his own glory and not for ours. And that leads us to Ephesians 1, which we're going to end with tonight. It says this. should be up there. Cool. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. See that? You're saved to the praise of his grace, which he has blessed us with, in the beloved. All of this hopefully will wrap up and make sense for you. In this like, ah, has God, this faithless thing is bothering me. Here's the point. His saving of you was for the praise of his own name. So it's a comfort that this could be a warning because God is faithful to his own name. And don't hear this and think, oh man, I doubt sometimes. Like sometimes my life would be categorized by, by lack of faith. Remember what salvation entails for you. It's a gift of faith. So you are already positionally accepted in Him, being renewed to look more like Him. But your faith was not an act. It was a gift to you. Because in a weird paradoxical way, this means that because faith was a gift, it didn't depend on you in the first place, so your faithlessness can't depend on you either. You see that? God doesn't deny Himself. If He saves you, He's keeping you. If you don't have faith in Him, He's not saving you. And if you're thinking, I can't be faithful enough, listen, you're right. The idea is that our initial faith in Christ was saving because of the object of our faith, not the strength of it. 
People who truly have seen Christ by faith can go through doubts. You can go through backsliding. But you will ultimately endure because Christ finishes what he started. Which means, I can say this to you as the band comes back up. I want you to think about this. Hopefully to address us in here before we sing and let our voices ring over the other side of the tracks. I want you to know this. If you feel like you are backsliding, like I am faithless, I'm, I'm slipping, I'm not here. I can say with confidence, because God is faithful to himself, that you are not too far gone. Come back to him and he is faithful and just to forgive you. I can also confidently say that if you deny him, he'll deny you. I can confidently say that if you do not have faith in Christ, he will be faithful to his own glory by punishing you forever. And that he will never turn away anybody who comes to him by faith. So, if you do not have faith in Christ, that he died for your sins, was raised to bring you back in right relationship with God. Listen, repent and believe he's faithful to take those who come to him by faith. And if you're saved and struggling, repent and believe that he is faithful to forgive and sing and enjoy the assurance tonight. And lastly, if you are saved and thriving, you're like, I can't wait for these conversation partners and being missional and things are just going well. In the name of the glory of God's name, go share this news of a faithful God who keeps his promise. His promise to be with you to the ends of the earth. Always, as we fulfill this great commission that we talked about. Even if we're faithless, he remains faithful. And that's good news because he doesn't deny himself. If he gave you faith, he's going to finish what he started. Let's pray. Father, I come to you right now in faith, knowing that you gave me that. And it wasn't because I earned it or my skills or gifting made me worthy. Um, Father, I, uh, I just thank you for us, uh, for the people in here that have... Gosh, still gather and want to worship even though technical difficulties and, and, and temperature and that, that we don't need this stuff. We don't have to put on a show and that people are hungry for you and you're working in our lives. So, so Father, as we get ready to sing this thing out, I pray that, that the other side, that, that Huntington, even the campus would hear us singing of our hope that we have in you because you are faithful to keep your promises. God, we praise you for that. It's in your faithful son's name I pray. Amen.